the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. Well, happy Fourth of July, everybody. It's July 2nd, I know, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to be here on uh, Fourth of July. So I thought today we'd do a show just talking about the meaning of the Fourth of July, really the meaning of the founding of America, and deeper than that, the meaning of America itself. What, what, what are we celebrating on the Fourth of July? We're celebrating independence, but is that worthy of celebration? Is that an important thing? Uh, you know, should you always be patriotic no matter what your country is? My argument is no. I mean, I left my country of birth. I left my country of birth to come to a better country. I wanted to come to the place, to the best place on the planet. And at least when I immigrated to the United States, when I first came to the United States in 1987, I too believed that America was the best place on the planet. And, and in that sense, I'm patriotic. I'm patriotic for all the virtues that are America. I, I, I believe in this country. But I really, when I really think about what is it I love about this country, what I really love about this country are the founding principles, are the things that made this country great, uh, is the vision of the founding fathers. It's what happened on the 4th of July, 1776. What's in the document, the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution that came a few years later. That is what I love about this country. Indeed, that, I think, is what has led to all the good that this country has done. All the good that exists in America is a product of what the founding fathers created, what the founding fathers, you know, basically fought for, announced the independence of on that 4th of July in 1776. So let's think about what, what it is. What makes America special? What, what is American exceptionalism? Why is that document in 1776 a document to be revered even today? What is it about that document that makes the United States of America a special country? What's the first document in human history? The first political document in human history? The first time a country is founded on the idea of individual rights. All men are created equal, the founding fathers tell us. And they all have an inalienable, unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That, that core idea right there, that principle is what made America great. It's why I celebrate the 4th of July. It's why I'm so saddened by the fact that America today has no concept, not the Supreme Court, not our legislator, not our president, and not the voters, no concept of what those unalienable rights are. So on the one hand, I celebrate the 4th of July. On the other hand, I mourn, I mourn that the principles of the Founding Fathers are so badly little understood today in America in 2017. What does it mean to have an unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? It means for the first time in history, it means that your life belongs to you. You get to decide how to live it. You get to use your mind, your reason, to choose the values 
and then pursue the values you believe are necessary to live, are necessary for your happiness. Before America, before the Declaration of Independence articulated this case, before America was fought for and won ultimately in the Revolutionary War, who did your life belong to? Who did all of our lives belong to? Well, it depends on what period of history. But what's common to all of them is that your life did not belong to you. Belong to the tribe, belong to the king, to the queen, to the council, to the pope, to, to you know, to the emperor, to the tribal leader, to the witch doctor, to the whoever, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Somebody throughout human history always had a claim on your life. They are very, it's very rare in human history. This idea that your life belongs to you, that your life is yours to live as you see fit, that is a very, very rare in history. Uh, you know, take a hundred thousand years, take a, a, a several hundred thousand years of human history, and there's maybe a few hundred years under Greece and a few hundred years around, you know, a few years before the Declaration of Independence and, and maybe through today where people actually believe that. But in all of human history, you were nothing but a pawn, a pawn to be ruled over, a pawn to be used for some other purpose, for some greater purpose, for a purpose greater than yourself. You meant nothing as an individual. It was the group, it was the collective, it was the leader, it was God, there was everything. And that changed. That all changed with the founding of America. America is the first country in human history to recognize the legitimacy of individualism, the legitimacy of the individual, the, 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 the fact that the individual's life is his, to live as he sees fit. We'll talk about the contradiction in the foundry and slavery in one of the future segments. So let's, let's put that aside. I, I will recognize that as a f major flaw in the founding of America, but we'll talk about it in a minute. So every other country in the world was established until the founding of America on the principle of some ethnic group and you as an individual's belonging to this group and, and being ruled by somebody. And where your moral responsibility, your political responsibility, your day-to-day -day responsibility was not to your own life, but to the group and to the ruler. It was pure collectivism. All of human history, from the time we were in a tribe. There was no individualism in a tribe. You did what the tribal leader told you. And if you didn't, the tribe took care of you. They excommunicated you or they killed you. But the individual's life did not gain value politically until the founding of America. Now, with the exception, maybe, of, of ancient Greece, where, where there was a period there of relative freedom and relative individualism. Now, how did this come about? How did, this come, how did we go from an era where the, the perception was that human life, individual human life, was not that valuable? Individual human life was just there to serve the greater good, the greater purpose, the greater collective, the greater something. But it was not an end in itself. Did not have value in and of itself. How did we get to that point? It's certainly not, it's certainly not in our religious tradition. I mean, we're always treated as a collective in our religious traditions. Your life is not ultimately yours to live as you see fit. You follow your duties. You follow 
commandments. You follow what you are told. All for some greater good. Greater good that you don't get to opt out of. Greater good that might be consistent with what's good for you, might not be consistent with what's good for you. And as a consequence of that, human beings have lived in, in unfreedom forever. What are the few periods in which people are free? Free to say what they want, free to do what they want, free to go out and engage in life the way they wanted to engage with it. You know, yeah, there have always been some limitations, but generally, what are the eras in which human beings were free? Well, a short period during maybe in Athens and then America. And, and since America and the, the Western world and other countries who have adopted American values, American ideals, the idea of individualism. But that's a rarity. Throughout most of human history, we have been, we have been, not quite slaves, but we have been unfree. We've been told what to do. We've been told what profession to have. Think of feudalism. We've been told where we can and cannot live. We've been told what was to fight in and, and forced to fight in those wars, whether we liked them or not, whether we agreed with them or not. We were told who our rulers were. We didn't get to vote on that. We were told what to believe in. If you didn't believe in the belief of your neighbors, you were often kicked out or, again, killed. You were told what to think. You couldn't challenge conventional wisdom. If it was the Catholic Church in the, in the 13th century or, or the Protestant Church in Northern Europe in the uh, 17th century, how dare you, you know, uh, uh, blasphemy, blasphemy laws were everywhere, everywhere. So you couldn't think what you wanted to think. You couldn't say what you wanted to say. You couldn't live where you wanted to live. There was no concept of private property. The Lord, the king, the, the overseer owned you. There was no sense of freedom. There was no idea of freedom until really the 18th century, until, until it was, until the Enlightenment, this period in 18th century from which American founding arose. And indeed, the American founding is the culminating achievement of the Enlightenment. It is the culminating achievement of the whole school of thought for 150 years before, before the founding of America. It's not accidental. It's not arbitrary. It's not just a few geniuses. The founding fathers indeed were geniuses, but it wasn't just the accidental accumulation of few geniuses who came up with all of this. Because the founders, these are not original ideas to them. They're geniuses in that they understood them. And they were original in the implementation. But the ideas around the founding, the ideas around individualism, the idea of individual sovereignty are not unique to the founders. They got them from previous thinkers. So this era is unique. How is it unique? Why is it unique? How did it come about? Because, again, the founding is not accidental. The founding is a culmination. It's the bearing of the fruits of something, of, of intellectual, philosophical seeds that were planted for the 150 years before. What are those seeds? Well, let's, let's do a little bit of a history lesson. Let's do a little bit, and a bit of a, a bit of philosophy lesson. A bit of philosophy lesson and a bit of history lesson to lead up to what makes America great and, and why the 4th of July is to me, I think the most, to me, it's the most important holiday of the year, the most meaningful holiday of the year. I, I venerate the founders and I venerate the founding of America and I, I love this country to the extent that it still represents that founding, to the extent that it still represents what was created back then. How did this, how did this all happen? So 
uh, think about think about ancient history. Think about well, not ancient history, but think about the history of Europe in the 13th, 14th, 15th centuries. Europeans were poor; they were dying. The population during one period, because of a plague, shrunk by a third. They were there was very little knowledge. There was very little progress. There was very little communication. People's lives were very short. Life expectancy was often around 29. In the better periods, it went into the 30s. Most of us would be dead. Population was small. There was no free thinking. There was no science. There was no invention. There was no production. There was no creativity. There was nothing. And then something amazing started to happen during the Renaissance. Suddenly, people started thinking for themselves, creating beautiful art. Starting to think about science. How did this happen? How did we go from the dark, dark ages of the Middle Ages to the Renaissance and the Enlightenment? It's the discovery of the work of one philosopher. That philosopher is Aristotle. Aristotle is the father, the philosophical, physical, philosophical father of this country. Aristotle is a great Greek philosopher who believed that human reason was efficacious. That reason, reason, we could use reason to learn about the world around us. We could use reason to discover truth about the world. Science was the application of reason to the physical world out there, into discovering there were laws to be discovered, there were facts to be discovered. He believed that knowledge was not accumulated through a rev revelation. It didn't come from some mystical entity, but that knowledge fundamentally was a product of human reason, and that every individual was capable of reasoning. That every individual was capable of discovering knowledge for himself. And suddenly, these ideas were discovered by Europeans, actually by Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas took these ideas seriously. He was the great, the great Catholic philosopher. He took these ideas seriously and started challenging church doctrine based on these ideas. And these ideas entered into the Western world through the church. All over, people started saying, reason, we can think, we can use our minds. And human beings, they're not the miserable, pathetic beings that the art, the art, the aesthetics of the Dark Ages portrayed them. Gargoyles, monsters, creepy creatures suffering constantly. But there was potential for heroism in human beings. And the art of the Renaissance the art that is based on this Aristotelian idea of the individual's ability to think, to discover, reflects the heroism of the individual. Now we see that in the Renaissance. And then we start seeing a scientific revolution come about as a consequence. And at the beginning, that scientific revolution is stifled. Think Galileo. Galileo says, hey, the sun doesn't go around the earth. It's the earth that goes around the sun. And the Catholic Church says, you can't say that, you can't think that, and that cannot be true because it goes against revelation. It goes against what's written in the Bible. And therefore, we must put you under house arrest. And he was lucky because other scientists were burned at the stake. But slowly that idea, that idea that only the holy books, only the Catholic Church has a monopoly over truth, has a monopoly over what is right and what is wrong, what science actually te teaches us, slowly, that breaks apart. We'll talk more about this when we come back right after this. This is the Yaron Brook Show, the Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to the Yaron Brook Show. All right, so we're doing a lot of history today. <laughs> I hope you're finding this interesting. But I'm trying to lead you up to the founding of America. And I know there's a lot of people out there who sell a very simplistic story about the founding of America. And I think they're wrong. I think the founding of America is a very deep event, a very important event, and a very philosophical event. And you have to understand the sequence of events and how we came to the idea. How do we come to the idea that individual life was so valuable that we built a political system called the American political system to protect the individual's life, to protect his right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to leave him alone to live his, his life as he saw fit. That's such a revolution in human thinking. That's such a political revolution in terms of how we organize the st states that I think it's so crucial for us to understand where it comes from so that we can resurrect it, so we can bring it back. I think we're losing America. I think we're losing the, 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 uh, the idea that was America. We're losing the principles that were America. We're slipping and becoming more European. We're slipping and becoming more collectivist. We've, we're losing that sense of individualism, that sense of individual rights, that sense of we leave people alone so they can live their lives as they see fit. All of that is slipping through our fingers. And our politicians have no clue. I don't think the Supreme Court understands the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. And you can't understand the Constitution unless you understand the Declaration. Because I don't think that any of those people and, and, and all of Americans who vote, I don't think they understand how unique this country is, how exceptional we really are. I mean, people talk about American exceptionalism. They don't have a clue. We're really exceptional, but not in the way we are today, in our founding. And it's not about race. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about being American. It's about ideas. So what we need to do in order to save America is understand the ideas at the core, at the heart of America. And to do that, we have to do some history, some philosophy. Our founding fathers were real intellectuals. They were well-read men. They were men who understood history and understood philosophy. They understood the roots of the system they were trying to create. And they didn't take any of this for granted. They studied, they read. And they discovered the ideas that allowed them to create this fantastic, this amazing, this almost miraculous country that we have that we have today. So what I'm trying to do today is walk you through some of the things that the founders discovered, some of the ideas that the foundation of what they put into the Declaration, into the Constitution, the foundation of their vision for what America should be and needed to become. The discovery of the idea of individualism, the discovery of the idea of the individual as the primary in political theory, in politics, in, 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 you know, that the state was there to protect the individual. The state is there to serve the individual. The state is there as our servant, not the other way around. Our lives belong to ourselves. Our lives do not belong to the state. We are not, we are not the slaves or the serfs of anybody. We are independent free people. All right, after this break, we'll do a little bit more history. We'll catch you up on the basic foundations of this country. And uh, you're listening to your Ron Brooks show. And we are going to be back after this break. You're on Brooke. on the Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to the Iran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, happy 4th of July, everybody. And uh, we're talking about the historical context for the founding of this country. And I was talking about the fact that the scientific revolution plays a huge role in the founding of America. How's that connected? Oh, we're going to get to that. We are going to get to that. So during the Renaissance and leading out of the Renaissance, people are starting to think for themselves. People are starting to question the monopoly the church and religion has over knowledge. Whether it's Galileo, Copernicus, Kepler, and others are starting to explain the physical world by means of science, not revelation. And then, then, Isaac Newton comes around, early part of the 18th century, and actually explains many, you know, of the physical phenomena around us in simple mathematical physical laws. He actually explains how objects move. He explains how planets move around the sun. And all of this can be proved and it can be shown to be to work. And it takes him a long time to convince people that these that this new field of physics, this new field of science is legit. He has to because people are not used to human beings discovering truths about the world. All truth is supposed to be revealed. But no Newton tells us, teaches us really. Human reason is what leads to truth. Human reason is how we discover what's around us, how the physical world works and what it doesn't work. And people take this to heart. People say, wait a minute, if we can explain the physical world through reason, why can't we explain other things through reason? And hey, why can't I make my own decisions about my own life through reason? Philosophers start asking these questions. John Locke and others in the Enlightenment, French Enlightenment, American Enlightenment, they challenge the conventional wisdom that we need experts to tell us how to live, that we need revelations, people who have special knowledge of the truth to tell us how to live. They say, wait a minute, Aristotle teaches us, and we agree, that every individual has reason. Aristotle defined human beings as the rational animal. And if every one of us has reason, has the capacity to think, discover the truth about oneself and about one's own values, about one's own needs, about one's own passions, then why do we need other people to tell us what to do? Why do we need other people to tell us what professions to have, how much to pay for the goods that we buy, where we can and cannot live, what we can and cannot think, who we can and cannot listen to and read. Why can't we make those decisions? We have the capacity to know the world. We're not dependent on revelation. We're not dependent on, mis on, 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 on some other dimension for truth. We can discover the truth. And this is when, this is the age of enlightenment. This is the 18th century. This is the age that produces the Founding Fathers. These are the people the Founding Fathers are reading. They're reading Locke and Montesquieu and Voltaire and, and Adam Smith and, and others, the, the, the Enlightenment. They're reading the thinkers in Scotland and in France and in other places in Europe. The thinkers that are articulating the case, basically for a secular world, for a world in which individuals can discover the truth about, the, about their lives, about their needs, about how to achieve success in life without the state or the church telling them what they can and cannot do, what they can and cannot think, 
what is truth and what is falsehood. Once we, once we discover this idea, once we accept this idea, and discover this idea, that we all have the capacity to reason, to look around the world and look around and, and, and figure out what's good for us and, and figure out what's right and figure out who should rule us and what ideas are good and what ideas are bad. And we say, well, well shouldn't we have a vote in, in who gets to rule us? Shouldn't we? Why, why can't we just do whatever profession we want? Why, why are we forced into particular guilds? Why, if I was born to a, to a blacksmith, do I have to be a blacksmith? No, I want to be a poet. So I want to be, I want to be a, a farmer. I want to be a computer engineer. Why is it the states or the, or the aristocrats or anybody's role? And wait a minute. What makes an aristocrat an aristocrat? Just because he was born that way? I mean, what's, what makes him different? When the founders say that all men are created equal, they, they, they mean it in that sense. Why, why is an aristocrat different than a common person? Aren't we all just human beings? And as human beings, don't we all have the capacity to reason? And if we all have the capacity to reason, can we all make the most of our own lives? Can we all, as individuals, pursue our own happiness? Do we really need to be told how to do that? Do we really need to be forced do we really need to be cursed? Do we really need authorities in our lives who tell us how to live and how to think and everything else? And the answer the founders come to, following the tradition of the thinkers that they were reading, is no. Every individual has the capacity, has the capacity to live a good life. Every individual has the capacity to be moral, to be good. Now, some people are going to be bad. You need a state to protect us from them. They need to go to jail if they commit violence or they commit a crime. But everybody has the capacity to be good. Everybody had the capacity to choose his own way. Everybody has the right to think his own thoughts, to believe in whatever he believes. The whole idea of religious freedom, which the founders talk a lot about, particularly Thomas Jefferson. You have a right to believe whatever you want to believe. You even have a right not to believe. To be an atheist, to be an agnostic, to be a Buddhist, to be whatever. It's none of my business. It's none of the state's business. There is no authority to tell you what you can and cannot believe. But before this, this wasn't acceptable. Atheists were burned at the stake. Before the Enlightenment, there was no such thing as free thinking. You thought only what you were allowed to think. Books were banned. Books were burnt all over Europe well into the 18th century. But it's thinkers like Locke and, and the whole enlightenment. Because they identify the efficacy of human reason. And they identify the individual as an end in itself. They say, wait a minute, you, you cannot tell an individual what to read and what not to read, what to think, what not to think, what to do, what not to do. As long as he's not using violence against others, then he is free. And more importantly, what Locke and the founders understood is that for a thinking, productive, rational human being, he needs a certain type of environment in order to thrive. They understood that human beings don't thrive under every environment. They, they, they studied history. They saw us dying of starvation. They saw the kind of political systems and kind of environments in which people stagnated 
or worse, died. And they said, look, if you, if an individual is going to be productive, if an individual is going to be rational, which they viewed as virtues to be rational and to be productive, then we need to create a specific type of political environment to make it possible for them to do that. And that's the political environment of freedom. We want a political environment that rewards the best. That rewards the best. And what kind of environment is that? It's an environment that leaves people alone. Because what is the enemy of reason? What is the enemy of production? What is the enemy of human success? What is it that stops you from thinking? And look, every one of our values requires thinking. From, from food, we have to figure out how to do agriculture. We have to figure out how to hunt. You, you don't have a gene for hunting. You have to figure out how to build a weapon. You have to figure out how to build a gun. Figure out how to use it. That all requires reason. That all requires thought. There is no, there is no shortcut. There is no instinct. There is no human beings to survive, to be successful, to thrive, to be productive, have to use their minds. What's the enemy of the mind? This is the great discovery of the enlightenment. What's the enemy of the mind? The, the positive discovery is the efficacy of the mind. The, uh, the second part of the discovery is the enemy. What's the enemy? The enemy is force. The enemy is coercion. The enemy is authority. If you put a gun to somebody's head, he can't think. He can't be produ productive because he's now going to do what you tell him because otherwise he's dead. You tell somebody from now on, two plus two equals four, five. Otherwise, I'm going to shoot you. Can't build a bridge. Can't program a computer. Can't do anything in life. Your mind is shut down. Force, coercion, authority shuts you down. So what John Locke and the thinkers of the Enlightenment and ultimately the Founding Fathers discovered was reason is efficacious. Reason is what we want to encourage to do that, to make it possible for people to live by reason. What we need to do is extract from human life force. What we need to do is extract from human life coercion. Extract from human life authority. Authority with a gun. How do we do that? concept of individual rights and a political system that protects the individual right. The individual rights to live without being coerced. The individual's right to live without force. The individual's right to live without authority. To judge based on his own mind. To act based on his own judgment. That's the political system that is America. America is the first political system to recognize the evil of force, to recognize the evil of coercion, to recognize that in order for people to thrive and be successful in their lives, they needed to be free from force, needed to be free from coercion, needed to be left alone to live their lives as they see fit so that they could exercise their rational mind, their reason to live the best life that they could live. All right, history lesson today, 4th of July. Have a great, great 4th of July. We'll keep discussing this. You're listening uh, to the Iran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network, and we'll be back. We'll summarize this and go on to another lesson from the revolution.
Best-selling author, prolific media contributor, PhD in finance. This is the Yaron Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Brooks Show. So happy for the July, everybody. We're talking today about the intellectual context in which this country was founded and, and why it is such a great, great achievement. I mean, really, for the first time in human history, people came together and said, people have a right, individuals have a right to live their lives free from force because they have a right to exercise their mind, to, to use their reason to make their lives the best lives that they can be. They have a right not to be cursed. This was a revelation. This this was new. This was exciting. We're going to build a country. We're going to create a country called an America where we're going to create the optimal conditions to maximize opportunities for people to achieve happiness. And we're going to do that by eliminating coercion from society, by eliminating force from society, for initiation of force from society. And we're going to create a government, a government whose only job, his only job, is to protect us from somebody initiating force against us. It's to protect us from crooks and criminals and fraudsters and, and, and invaders and terrorists and all the people who would use force against us to force us to do things we did not want to do. Give us the space. Give us the freedom to do what's good for us, to think about what are the values and virtues necessary to live a good life. And then to go and get them, whether our neighbors likes it or not, whether the state likes it or not, to live. So the state is there, the government is there to protect us, protect us from force, and to arbitrate disputes so that we don't have to resort to force against one another when we disagree. You need some kind of system of objective law and an objective legal system that can arbitrate those disputes. But other than that, government should leave us alone. Government should leave us alone. That is the genius of the founding. That by doing so, it created a space, a political space, in which people could think new thoughts, innovate, produce, create, build. And as a consequence, you got this flowering in America. What you got in America as a consequence of the Declaration of Independence and a consequence of this idea of individual freedom is inventors and scientists and businessmen. You know, really, th th those professions, uh, particularly the businessman profession, was created in America and in those countries outside of America that adopted these ideas. You got the Industrial Revolution. You got this exciting period in human history where we went from everybody being poor to suddenly everybody being rich in comparison to what they were before. Not equally rich. Some people are richer than others. But relatively speaking, Relatively speaking, we're all doing great. And that's a consequence of the Industrial Revolution and a consequence of the freedom we've had since then to innovate and produce and create, to live our lives, to, to consume what we want to consume, to live in a relative free market. I wish it was a pure free market, but a relative free market. So the United States unleashed the productive spirits, the energy, the productive energy of millions of people around the world. 
who emigrated to the United States and built and created this fantastic country based on the principles of the Enlightenment, based on the principles of the unalienable right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, based on the principle that your life is yours, to live as you see fit, free of coercion, free of force, using your mind, your reason, to live the best life that you can. You're listening to your Ron Brooks Show. We'll be back after this break. You're listening to the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.